been successful. Okay, here you go. Um, I have countless regrets, so many that it's hard to think of the daily regrets. But um, one time, this is a couple of years ago, my son was probably three, maybe close to four, and he was sitting down to dinner, and I had those little peas that are in, like, the individual package, kind of looks like applesauce. I don't know if you ever use those. Anyway, so, like, peas at dinner, and I had left the room and come back in, and the peas weren't there, and so I said, you know, Stacy, did you throw away your peas? Because the little container wasn't there either. So did you throw away your, your peas? You know, no, no, I didn't throw away my peas. Okay, I'm going to give you one more chance to tell me the truth. So I'm thinking not only has he not in his peas, but he's lying to me. So he got severely reprimanded and put to bed. And I don't know why he did not get spanked in that particular incident. But the next morning, anyway, this goes on for a while. And the next morning I went to go put something in the microwave. And the peas are in the microwave where I had placed them the night before. And I didn't, you know, so, so I, all this false accusation and this whole big thing about lying. And, like, it was completely my fault. So I was quite beside myself the next morning. But, like, I really do think somehow the Lord intervened because I didn't spank him. And I think I would have had a lot more regret if I had falsely spanked it. Alright, which, which is gonna, is a perfect tie into our memory verse this week, which is, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So you just have that to hang on to. Um, okay, anybody else? Alright. I have a first grader and a three-year-old and we were trying to get out the door to school and struggling with that just yelling a lot at my daughter at one point and I she I just brought her to tears because I was like why you should have been brushing your teeth and washing your face and why aren't you ready now and she looks at me and starts to cry and says I was going poo poo (laughs) (laughs) yes 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 we can all learn from that one okay anybody else do over moment okay one more and then I then we're gonna get started um, it's at my son's four-year-old birthday party. So just a couple weeks ago, we had a pinata, and um, stinking thing went bust. And like, there's all these kids, and they're all around, and <clears throat> it was kind of chaotic. FYI, don't do a pinata for a four-year-old. And um, and <laughs> it wouldn't bust. And Jackson wanted another turn, and he kind of gets. He's a sensitive kind of emotional kid, and so <laughs> um, he hit it. It didn't bust, and so finally, I just. Because I wanted it to end. I took the thing down, and I was like, up! And, I, and I threw it, like, you know. So I was like, it's funny, kids are going to love this because the candy's going, like, a helicopter everywhere. And he just, like, throws himself down and just is like, ah! and, like, just starts screaming. I'm like, it's your party. And I'm like, we've talked about not crying like this at parties. Like, and I'm like... But it's his party. Like, it was like, I was on my agenda, and I should have been thinking about him. And I just felt, I mean, like, I literally couldn't sleep that night. I was like, I ruined his four-year-old birthday party. Like, next morning, like, in the car, I was like, I just had to ask him for forgiveness. He goes, that's all right, Mommy. I I forgive you. So. So. All right. They're so precious. All right. I'm going to open us in prayer. Just dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all these uh, moms that are here that are just eager to learn from others that are a little further along that have um, made mistakes. And just um, you're a Lord that offers forgiveness. We are just so grateful for that. And we love you, Lord. We appreciate you so much. And thank you for just everything you do for us. And uh, love does cover um, our sins. And we are so thankful for that. Lord, we just want to lift up especially Jenny Burns, who was supposed to be with us this morning, who's in the hospital. Lord, we just ask um, that you comfort her, that you comfort her husband, Jay, that you be with the doctors, give them wisdom, help them figure out um, 
what is going on that you um, would have her be without pain and that you return her to us um, quickly and healthy. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, this morning we are very privileged to have experienced moms. On the end is Sue Bolin, who's been here before. Gail Stouffer, one of our mentor moms, and Elizabeth Tamlin, who spoke in the fall on If I Knew Now What I Knew Then, which ties into what we're going to talk about today. So really, we sort of have an informal kind of um, uh, process. We're going to each sort of share some of our do-over moments, and I expect there will be some overlap, so we can just kind of um, go with one another. And I'm going to start with a do-over. It's, it's, I probably had this moment like 15 times, and it took me to get to the point where my kids are 15 and 13, where I finally realized it was true. And it looks something like this. You're in the grocery store. You have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And you should have been going to the grocery store at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And they're losing it. And they're wanting to buy things. And they're opening packages. And um, you are just kind of at your wit's end. And then some very well-meaning, nicely dressed older woman comes up to you and says, Oh, sweetie, they're so cute. You're so lucky. I wish mine were that age again. And you think to yourself, you are crazy. Be, come be me for one afternoon, and you will never think this again. But you know what, ladies? That woman is right. And I would say if I had a do-over moment, it would have been when I was in the grocery store, I would have been like, gosh, thank you so much for the encouragement. And I would have said to the kids, you know what? Let's, let's just get through the express line and go home and have fun. Because they get older and they grow up before you know it. And... I was uh, doing something earlier this week, and there was a mom who's even further along. She looked at me. She goes, you know, you'll be a grandmother before you know it, which that's kind of like, I'm like, well, my daughter's just 15. I hope that's a ways away. <laughs> but, I, but I thought, you know what, as fast as it's gone from like those days to now, it will be. And so my advice to you is when someone says that to you, just take it to heart and take it as encouragement, not as like she has no idea what she's talking about. So that's, that's my first two-ever moment, so. Um, I, I would start with, um, I just kind of jotted, jotted some things down, and one of the things that I wish that I would have done differently was I focused too much on thinking my house needed to look perfect before I had people over. And, um, you know, I think one of the greatest gifts you can give each other is community with other moms. I mean, that is that was really what got me through joyfully that stage of life, was having other moms. How, we, think, we told you all this. We would load them up in the Target baskets and go. I mean, that'd be like a play date. We could, we could shop and visit and have adult conversation, and they would eat popcorn in the Target basket. And um, so community together is so important, but just not to be shy from having people over, even if you don't have all matching dishes or you don't, you know, there's some laundry that you just shut the door behind or whatever, but just not to, not to take yourself so seriously that you think your house has to be perfect before you have people over. So that would be my first do-over moment, was being too worried about myself and what people thought about me to just have people over and, and, you know, enjoy. And along those same lines, I can remember when Kyle was three, he was eating breakfast one day, and I just asked him, I said, Kyle, what does Daddy do? And he thought, and he goes, oh, oh, yeah, he's an architect. And I said, well, what does Mommy do? And he thought, and he goes, you vacuum. (laughs) And, And that's a really cute story, but now that I look back on that, I probably was preoccupied with having my house perfect that I denied ourselves of just being spontaneous and having fun and going to the park and not worrying that, you know, the beds were made. And and so, and another thing I would just maybe encourage you, like I was probably prideful and say I can do this all myself when they're little. 
and I probably should have had help when they're little, not now when they're gone for eight hours a day. Now I can get that all done and make that transparent, but when they were little, it, it wasn't transparent. I was stealing t precious time that I can't recapture. Um, instead of having a do-over moment, I just want to tell you about a do-over years. Um, <laughs> and one, one thing in particular, and that was, I have two sons who are now 30 and 28. My older son is strong-willed um, and came out of the womb with two questions. The first is, are the rules the same today as they were yesterday? And the other question was, can I be in control today? Can I be in charge? So when he was 18 months old in the church nursery, they called him Sarge because of the way he would just walk in there, you know. So <clears throat> this, this child caused me no... Um, no amount, uh, no great amount of uh, consternation. And I, I will tell you that he has given me carte blanche permission to share any and every story if, he, if I thought it's going to help somebody else. Um, when he was 20 years old, he told me what I now would have been the secret to his youth had I known it then, which is, Mom, every time you got mad, that meant I won. I said, you're kidding. It was that simple? And he just smirked at me, you know. And I just thought, if I could have gone back and done over all those moments in all those years, um, even if I was mad, if I had covered it up and dealt with it differently, then I wouldn't have always felt like I was losing. And I, I didn't have words for it until he explained explained that he had won. That's why I always felt like I was losing. So um, I pass it on to you because it's probably the most important thing that I learned that I did wrong <laughs> over, over all those years of, of child raising. Okay. Am I on? Okay. My, this is it's the same thing kind of covers a multitude of things. And I, it would be watch your words. Um, and I wish I knew now things I had said to people that had really hurt them because um, I would do those over. But what came to mind were things that people said to me that hurt me even years later. And I'll give you some examples. One is uh, my son Daniel, who's now 13, was not potty trained until he was four. And that was just, you know, a real bummer. It just kind of was not, not really fun. And um, we were at church, and this mom who had kids probably at that point about 9 and 10 is telling this other mom this story about how her son, when he played t-ball, that there was this kid who still was in diapers, and that is nobody's fault but the mother's fault that he is not potty trained. And she had no clue what was going on in my world. But, you know, I want, what I wanted to say to her was, you know what, that is, that's so unfair. But, you know, it hurt. And I just thought, should I just say, just, you know, be and we all do it. Just be careful what comes out of your mouth. Um, another example is um, Elizabeth and I were actually at the pool uh, when our kids were really little. And they're like in the waiting pool. And there was a mom that was there. And, you know, we're like hair in a ponytail I mean, no makeup on. We're at the pool. Hair in a ponytail, swimsuits, watching our kids. She's like, yeah, she is uh, made up. Everything got it all together. These perfectly, you know, uh, coordinated children. And we started talking about television for some reason. And she's like, oh, my children 
are only allowed to watch VeggieTales when they're sick. And we like look at each other, and later we go, you win, you are more spiritual than we are. We are failures, you know, so it's like, um, to just, you know, think about these things. And there, you know, it's like, that was her, I mean, her personal conviction that that's how she wanted to raise her children. And that is wonderful. But don't, I would just say those, when you say things like that, you know the Lord is going to humble you later. Um, all right. Um, as you, as you get, as your children get older, you get into things like, uh, what kind of, what rated movie they're going to watch. One thing, one thing that's a big hot button is cell phones. And I will just tell you that, and the best I can tell, a cell phone's not a biblical issue. And that's a personal conviction between families. And people give kids cell phones for different reasons. Like my son got one when he was 11, because that's when he went from crossroads at church to on what's the next to wake so where you go where it's sixth through eighth grade and it it some of those eighth grade boys are like men and just the thought of being in that big giant room with these the loud music and not being able to find us after church and all that just kind of freaked him out and having the the literally literally the throwaway cell phone in his pocket enabled him to have the um just the comfort to go to wake and so for us, it was totally worth it. But then you would hear people be like, I can't believe you get, you know, no 11-year-old should have a cell phone. And you just feel like, you know what? You don't have my 11-year-old. So it's another one. All right, my most recent one was uh, there's a dance this weekend for my daughter's school. And we were trying to figure out how to uh, get the girls from soccer to the to the drop-off to be driven. They're going to trail dust. And I said in my email, well, the girls have got to go home, and they need to take showers and put on makeup and flat iron their hair. And, you know, for those of you that have curly hair, you understand that the flat iron can really be your friend. And especially when you're 15, that's really important. Well, apparently this one mom must think flat irons are very evil because her um, email response was, uh, my daughter will be, you know, we will leave the game at 4.50. She'll be home at 5.15. She will be dressed and showered. No flat irons available. She will be there at 6 o'clock. I thought, okay, you know. And even it was an email, so it wasn't in person, but it was like, you know. I mean, the whole analysis is like, am I doing something wrong? Is the flat iron bad? You know, should I not be letting her use the flat iron? Are we being, you know, all this kind of stuff? So no, sounds crazy. But anyway. My daughter's better than your <laughs> daughter. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so there's two, two verses that, that go with this. Um, Proverbs 15:2. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. And Proverbs 10:19. When words are many... Sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. So, um, and I thought, especially that one ten nineteen has got words and tongue all in the same verse. So, just think about that. And you know, I wish I'm sure I have been the culprit of of saying these things to people. And I, for any of you, if I've offended you, I'm very sorry. I really am. I mean, my words to hurt. But anyway, just watch your words. Good. I'm thinking of uh, Matthew 7, too. Do not judge, or you will be judged. Um, okay, I would just, in, uh, my do-over moment is when my, took my, our kids went to Providence, and, I, and there was a big deal to go to chapel with your child, and you would, you would go, and your child would come sit with you, and it was a really, really big deal. I know it kind of sounds silly now, but at the time, so, but I had a two-year-old, and I was pregnant. And so I, but I thought, well, surely... At a school chapel, it, you know, there'll be little noises in the background. Or Well, not at this school. There were not. 
And so, so I took, so I took Ty, my two-year-old, and to go sit with Carter. So he, you know, they leave, they get to leave from their class, and they come sit with their mom, and and it's going along fine for a little bit. Well, then the two-year-old starts to be a two-year-old, like if you had a two-year-old in a in a church service, and he starts, you know, like talking happily, but still just, you know, I'm like, so I'm getting all stressed, and I, um, so I finally am like, I, I've got to walk out and take him outside because he's being so loud and everybody's looking and all that kind of stuff. So I go out. And then now I'm in tears because Carter is in tears because now he's sitting by himself. The first grader is sitting by himself, and I should have not gone to chapel with a two-year-old. And so my, but, and, and my advice would just be to be in the season you're in. You know, if, you are, if you're with babies, then do those baby things. And if you're in preschool, then go to the park and do all those wonderful things. And if you're in, when my car, kids are big now, I drive them, and sometimes I get tired. So I, I understand that. Gosh, another day, another day of this, and another day of the same thing. But I try to embrace it, and I'm, you know, in, in a few months, my 15-year-old will have his license, and then I won't hardly ever drive him. So, you know, I listen to Beth Moore, and I make the when I'm going to get him before I have him with me. But just make the most of the season you're in and embrace it. And so, for me to bring a two-year-old, I was trying to be in the first-grade world, but I still had a preschooler, and I should have just really embraced that and either found somebody to trade with. Or, but it caused tremendous stress. So I went out in the lobby, and this other mom came out. And now I'm in tears, and she's like, would you like me to stay with your two-year-old so you can go back with your first grader? And I still, whenever I see her, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you for saving me that day 15 years ago. But it was, it was so stressful. And I just, you know, I think sometimes we put ourselves in a, in a situation that's just not, you know, if you're not in that season, then, you know, you're not, this is not your season to be in charge of the junior league or the charity ball or the whatever. Just be in the season you're in. And you will get to the next season, and you'll be in it and enjoy it, because they all have great things about them. And another example of that was I was like the field trip lady of the world, and I would love, I'd get these Let's Go Dallas, and in the summer, I would just love to take my three kids on these little field trips. And we would go and explore various things from the, uh, you know, little creeks to parks to children's museums or whatever. Well, one day I got the brilliant idea from one of these books to take them to this water park. And I don't know what exactly I was thinking, other than maybe I was even, like, thinking, check, check, check from the book, which is a whole other set of baggage. <laughs> but, but anyway, so we go to this water park, and it's not like a giant wet and wild, but nonetheless, it was a water park. And so I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old and then, like, a, a seven-year-old. Well, the one and the three-year-old are fine being right by me, but the seven-year-old, he wants to go off. And so now I'm thinking he's going to get kidnapped, and what was I thinking? And, you know, it was just... You know, that was not the, the, I was, you have to be in probably the season of your youngest and not to be trying, that was just a crazy idea to try to take all three of them to that same activity. Many times it worked and I loved, we'd go to the park, we'd go to, you know, hands-on children's museums, all these kind of great things. But that was another one of those, that really wasn't the season to try to be doing all of that at the same time. So just, just embrace the season you're in, whatever it is, and, and because it's going to end and I don't ever go to the park now. And I love the park. So just do it well and finish well the season you're in before you move to the next. Okay, the um, next one really has to do with um, appreciating my husband and what he was doing. And I think initially when our son was born, um, you know, he didn't diaper the same way that I did. I mean, I had a lot more experience, but when he would, you know, take that over, you know, it wasn't as tight and this, or he would always come back, he goes, you know, these pajamas, you know, the top never matches up with the snaps on the bottom. I'm like, that's because the snaps go in the back on the shirt. Um, you know, and so little things like that really bugged me. And then I was really convicted by that. It's like, if I want his help, then I need to zip my lips 
and let him do it his way. And in the scheme of things, it's not causing danger to my child um, or our child. And that if God... (laughs) Watch those words. Um, And um, if, you know, if God wanted him to have two mothers, then he would have given, you know, he would have cloned me. And he didn't. He gave me a spouse to compliment me. And so we're all much more task-oriented. I mean, and it's like, okay, this is our schedule before we go to bed. We, you know, bathe. We read the book. You did it in bed. And just like, let's bounce on the bed. And I'm like, now they're all wild. But, you know, those are the memories that our kids have and cherish versus probably the going, get in bed. You know, it's, it's 7 o'clock. It's my time. So just to really appreciate and encourage your husband to help you and not to look negatively on things that may be different because there are more than one way to diaper a child. And following up exactly from that point, um, I have repented many, many times of being a control freak. Um, my way is the right way to do it. And <clears throat> unfortunately, particularly when, with a strong-willed child, um, he did not appreciate me trying to control him, and it never, ever worked well. So um, it wasn't until high school that I finally I let go and I learned some other skills other than trying to make him do things my way because I am the mother. I get to tell you the way it is because I'm your mother. That's why you should do it. And I really wish I had read Parenting with Love and Logic um, to have give me some other tools. It would have been helpful if the book had been written um, when, I, <laughs> when I needed it. But I didn't find out about it until later. Um, but instead, I just went around, you know, with my authority like a bat. And I hardened his heart against me many, many times. Um, and it wasn't until actually he was a senior in high school that we both went through a similar, well, the same um, experiential seminar that gave you life skills. And I learned not to do the stupid, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, kind of back and forth stuff I needed to acknowledge. This is your position, now I'm going to tell you my position. And So I wanted him to feel heard and understood, and then I would tell him what I wanted and what I thought, and, um, and realize that he was going to have to deal with consequences of the things that he chose, which was a big part of parenting with love and logic. And I just learned that there's what, parenting love and, with love and logic for teens. Oh, my goodness. Can you tell them the author? Uh, Jim Klein. Faye. Faye and Klein are the last last two names, right? C-L-I-N-E and F-A-Y. And I think they're believers, but those are not Christian books. They're they're biblical concepts, but they really, really work. And the whole idea is I I wish I had found out seriously what is it that motivates Kurt, what is most important to him, what is the currency that most, you know, makes him want to do things in order to protect having that, for example, computer time or playing in a soccer game or whatever, rather than yelling at him. And so um, I, it'll be interesting if I get to be a grandmother, um, how, to, how to do that parenting thing without being a control freak. So uh, now, now that I'm much older and I see my sins so much more clearly, I wish I could have gone back and done that over 
a lot of different ways when I was letting my desire to control, which is all about me wanting to be God of the universe, of my universe, and just trusted God and not been controlling. They really, uh, I, I don't know for sure, um, I, but, but they keep giving you these tools that are instead of spanking, um, which is really good because if all you've got is spanking in your head as a discipline tool, you're going to be up a creek without a paddle. So, pardon you, would you say? You, there you go. Mm-hmm. My next do-over moment is um, a saying that I learned from a friend of ours, which is comparison is the thief of joy. And that is um, that's true in just a variety of different um, circumstances. But one in particular that stands out to me, when we were um, early married, my husband uh, is a physician, and so we were in residency. And uh, I say we because if you're married to a doctor, you really do the residency <laughs> with them. Um, as I tell people, I did the full tour of duty. So um, we, he was paired his first year with this um, guy who I thought was a great guy, and we got to be really close friends with he and his wife, and we were over at their apartment one day, and I walk in their kitchen, and I look on the fridge, and it's covered with sticky notes that he's written to her, I love you, you're the best wife in the whole world, I cherish you, you're beautiful, blah, 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 and I'm over there going, uh, my fridge is, is blank, thank you very much. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, and this was before, this was back in the dark ages when no one had cell phones, so there was no texting, there wasn't anything like that. And, you know, my poor husband, he was a little busy at the hospital. But, you know, I'm over there thinking, you know, well, he really loves her, and I don't know about this. So I kind of stew on this a little bit. Well, then, wasn't very long after that that I get a phone call from her at work that, um, they're at their apartment and his beeper has gone off and it's a phone number that she did not recognize and she called the number back and it was a nurse at the hospital that he had been having an affair with. And so all these notes on the fridge were because he was feeling crummy, as he should have been, um, for, for cheating on her. And I was just like, oh gosh, thank you Lord for the husband I have. You know, don't let me compare him to this other guy. And um, so I would just tell you, ladies, you know, just appreciate your mate for who he is. Love him. Respect him. You know, find out what, it, what his love language is. You know, what makes, you know, whatever it is, do it. You know, don't look around at somebody else's house, car, marriage, kids, clothing, body, whatever, and think, wow, I wish I had that because, you know, everybody's got something. It's just if they're bold enough to share with you what it is or it may not have happened to them yet. So. And part of it is all you all we see of other people's lives and husbands and children and cars and homes is the tip of the iceberg. Most of what goes on, we don't see. That's one of the reasons. I'm not wearing it today, but I have a four-carat CZ that I like to wear because it reminds me that things are not always the way they appear. For one thing, my husband did not give it to me. It came from my aunt. When she died, my mom got it. When my mom died, I took it. And, 
um, so it's, it's not a real diamond. It's way bigger than we would ever be able to afford. We're in full-time Christian work, right? And so, and, and people go, oh, what a beautiful ring. And it is. I love sparkly things. My motto is, if it don't shine, it ain't mine. And so um, I love this. But, you know, when I look at the ring, it reminds me, Things are not always the way they appear, and, and when I'm looking at other people, I'm only seeing a little piece of the puzzle. I am clearly not seeing the whole thing, and it helps me deal with the comparison thing, because comparisons are deadly as well as a thief of joy. And, and I would say, too, you've got to watch your children. Um, my husband has this saying, big hat, no cattle. Um, and I think in Dallas, you can see that. <laughs> what? Um, it's a rancher thing. <laughs> big, big, big hat, no cattle. It's like, you know, you look like you're, you know, Mr. Cowboy, but you're spread. You don't have any cows on there. And I think in the world of credit, it's very easy to look at somebody's anything, really, because you can buy almost anything on credit now and think, wow, they're really wealthy. So we have a house two doors down from us that is it's a, it's a large house, and these uh, people moved in, and they have, um, I think, four or five cars. There's like a Lamborghini, and there's like this fancy Mercedes, and all these other things. And my son was like, wow, they must be so rich. And I was like, you know what? You have no idea. All that could be on credit, or he could be a car salesman for all we know. We have no idea. But it's like start with your kids just saying, you know, like Sue said, just because it sparkles doesn't mean it's real. You know, just because. Or, you know, some and it, with your children, too. Like, oh, well, he's so good at sports and I'm so bad at sports. But you know what? He may be good at sports and be, you know, struggling in school. Or he may have a dad that that's all that matters to him is sports. So just nip it in the, the comparison is the thief of joy. And um, that's exactly what it does. It robs you of being able to appreciate who you are, where you are, and where God has you. Um, kind of along with that, when she was talking about the husband, is I would just, um, my, my kind of bullet point here would be just to em, uh, embrace each child for the personality that the Lord has made them and, and for who they are. And one, I have a 20-year-old at Baylor, and then a 15-year-old at Trinity, and then a 7th grade girl at Providence. And my 20-year-old 20, my 20 would go with anyone, anywhere, anytime, since he was very little. But my 15-year-old, I, I didn't really know this at the time, but when he was four, we were at the park, and one of those great days, it was a beautiful day, and somebody said to me, would Ty want to come over and play after, you know, when we leave the park? And I was like, oh, that'd be great. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get a nap or, you know, whatever. And uh, so I tell him, someone says invited you over, you know, after the park. And he's like, I don't want to go. And I'm like, well, I already told you you were going. <laughs> You're going. I don't want to go. And, and I mean, I don't even remember who it was. I'm, I'm really glad about that. But... But, you know, the point being, this was a different child. He didn't want to be going and blowing all the time. He really wasn't necessarily even against the person, but he didn't want, I needed to appreciate his personality for who he was. And I still, to this day, have learned I don't commit for him um, to a church retreat or to, you know, to anything, because I don't know. And to appreciate each child, they're not going to be all the same. You, you may not even be able to parent them all exactly the same. And uh, his personality just is such that I better not try to speak for him. And just to appreciate each personality for what it is and not, that was just a do-over moment. Like, I should never have said, and I didn't do it again after that. Now I say, you know what, let me check with Ty, because I realize it, it, it's, not, it's not okay for me to answer for him because he's, he's different than my first one would have gone with anyone, anywhere, anytime. So, yes. Right. I would say that, that the older one's going to go off to school. But to learn, you know, and as they get bigger, their love language will come out. 
And I've learned, like with, my, with the 15-year-old, I really believe his love language is acts of service. And so if he asked me, Mom, would you get me, you know, a bottle of water, with the older one, I might have been like, you know what, you, you are capable, go get your own bottle of water. But with him, it's not that he can't do it. It's not that I, well, I, I so I, learning whatever that love language is, maybe it's not quality time, but it's, you know, and I think as they get older, it'll be easier for you to discern that. But it, you don't have to speak to them in the same way. So it's, it, it's okay if you can't, you can't force them to sit there, plus he's two, to read a book or to, you know, to do that activity. So, and it is a marathon, so it's not just a race. You know, you're going to, you over the span of time, you will get that quality time with them. I mean, I still feel like that with Ty, because just being a middle child, I wanted to be especially uh, mindful of making sure he didn't get, you know, he's got two sanguines on each side of him. It'd be very easy for him just to get caught in the rush. And so if, if he wants me to bring him a bottle of water, I'm going to do it. Because, so just to speak to, each, to treat each child separately and to, you know, just over the course of time, I think you'll have your chance. And being mindful of it is probably the greatest first step you can have. Is just to be, you know, there will be opportunities that come up when you can do something special with that child, or you know, you just will figure out what is meaningful to him, and then and then do it. So you're on the right track, just having it in your mind. Um, my next thing is to invest in just a little spiral notebook and to um, write down the sweet, funny things that your kids say because you think you're never going to forget them, and 15 years later you do. I mean. I, <laughs> Trust me. I mean, it's hard to even remember what we had for dinner last night. And as, you, as your kids get busier, you're going to forget that. And so um, I've only done this probably 1% of the time or as much as I had wanted to, but I came across Catherine's book the other day. And it's, it's nothing fancy. I mean, I think about it at a dollar store. It's just one of those, you know, almost like you use it as a prayer journal, you know, it's flowers on or something. I just wish I would have had access to that or even once a week sat down and kind of journaled things. But one of the entries the other day, that I came across was that we had bought a little trivia game at a garage sale for 50 cents. And we weren't really playing the game, but I was just kind of reading the questions. And one of the questions was, name the five senses. And Catherine's like, oh, I know it, I know it, I know it, I know it. And I'm like, well, what is it, Catherine? And she goes, penny, nickel, dime, quarter. <laughs> and I mean, I am so glad that I have that memory because I would have totally forgot that. And they are. I mean, Elizabeth said that in her... Um, you know, talk at Building Blocks a couple months ago. They are funny little people. And you will forget, you know, that they are funny and that they make you laugh and that there's joy there. So, and you know, go spend a dollar on yourself. (laughs) Keep it by your phone. Keep it in your car. You know, that, um, and then, because the kids, especially they get older and they go, well, tell tell, tell me something about when I was little. And you're going, oh, man, you know. And you can't, and, and it's really important, at least it was for Catherine, to know what she was like when she was little and, and to have those funny stories to share with her. And had I not written the few down that I can go back and read and remind her, I think I might have played kind of with her, her self-esteem a little bit. So, um, you know. I'm going to say this now. It was one of my points. But with that, take lots of pictures because you think you'll remember and you don't. Even if you don't do anything with them but take them and store them safely. Um, because I, that's how I have the best, um, that jogs my memory better than anything, mm-hmm. is just to take, take pictures of these sweet little faces. Yeah. I cannot tell you how important the idea of keeping this notebook is. Um, 
And you need to know that four years old is the golden year. That's when the kids start connecting the dots and the light bulbs come on. And if you have a four-year-old or you've had a four-year-old, you know exactly what I'm talking about because they go from, oh, cute, cute little kid to just, you know, the tears running down your face funny. And one of the things to keep in mind is if you find yourself repeating what they said to anybody, let that be your trigger to write it down. My sister told me, of all the words of wisdom you've given me over the years, because I'm number one in our family of seven, and she's number six, so I'm older than her by quite a bit. She said it was keeping that notebook in the kitchen, because she spent a lot of time in the kitchen. That was the best thing you ever told me, because she's got page after page after page. And my kids still, I mean... They don't, haven't done it in a while. They haven't lived at home for a while. But they would literally roll on the floor laughing at how funny they were. Because they love to be reminded of how cute and adorable and hilarious they were. I will never forget, four years old, Kurt says, Mommy, my tummy hurts. I think it's my independence. <laughs> well, you know, when you're connecting dots like that, it's hilarious. So, um so that was just riding on your coattail scale, but um, completely different change of subject. When you talk about do-overs, the most important do-over that I wish uh, that, I, I, that I would have taken in a heartbeat is I wish we had gotten counseling help for our son a lot sooner than we did. I, we did not realize how traumatic it was at the time. In fifth grade, we took him, we had to take him out of Christian school and put him in the neighborhood public school in Garland. And Kurt went from Grace Academy, which truly was a grace-drenched academy where he thrived and he soared. And he went from being in a class where they had two classmates in his, in his grade, in fourth grade. He was in a combined, I third third and fourth grade so there were maybe maybe 15 kids in that class total then he goes into a class with 30 with a teacher that should have retired several years before she was old crotchety burned out and she had no patience for the new kid and he went into a downward spiral that he literally did not come out of until he was in the air force um number of, of years later and he became angry he was it was clearly very troubling to his heart and I knew that he was struggling but I didn't know how badly and it occurred to me maybe we ought to take him for counseling but you know it's always oh, no we can't afford it we can't afford it well um, when I was with him at the adolescent psych unit at Plano Presby right after he had a suicide plan at age 17 um, it wasn't about, oh, we you know, couldn't afford it back then because things got a lot more expensive when you've got a kid who's actively suicidal. So I wish we could have taken it seriously back then, um, saved him so much heartache, saved us so much heartache. And we've, we've talked about it since then, that he realizes um, it was a horrible, horrible time and I needed help processing it, but we didn't know the questions to ask. We didn't know how to go about helping him get over that. So if you've got, particularly if you've got the Holy Spirit going, this kid needs help, don't say, oh, no, no, we don't have time, we don't have money. He'll be fine, he'll be fine. Because kids find so many reasons to be in deep woods, uh, deep weeds these days with arrows to their heart. So if your child needs counseling help, get them the help. My next one is um, 
a little bit like one of Elizabeth's on being, you know, worried about how your house looks and stuff like that. And my, my thought for this is um, be careful about what you put first and, and how you describe that. And um, it was real important to me to have my house orderly and, you know, that I kind of took pride in that, you know, I'm getting all this done and my house is real efficient and it was also important for me that my car would be clean and that there wouldn't be Cheerios and things in my car. And when I, I, before I had kids, I mean, and I... I hope other people do this, but before I had kids, I would talk to somebody that had one. And I'd be like, "What'd you do?" It's like, "Well, I took we took a shower, and we got gas in the car." And I'd be thinking, "You loser! You know what? What? What's what's up? You know?" And um, same thing would I would um, you know see people's cars that had children, and I would just not get it. I just really thinking like, "You're a pig! I don't understand." And, and, you know, I, I'm admitting all this now, and it gets better. Um, so I was very prideful about this. And I didn't realize, you know, when they're babies, you know, they're pretty controlled. Unless they spit up on something, you know, they're not, they can't hold anything. They don't ask for anything. They don't have all – you are in charge of their paraphernalia. As they get older, they have their own paraphernalia. And then they start taking things off in the car, and, you know, you've got – you know, so the average mom car has got food and cups and clothing and books and paper and everything they've picked up everywhere they've been and the free things people give them and all this stuff. Okay, so fast forward. Um, my daughter, Emily, who's now 15, was with Mrs. Tamlin. And I have an older one, so I had already kind of given up on that. I am not perfect. Yeah, she has. She, Carter, who's 20, was at that. Emily must have been three, so Carter would have been six or six. Eight, eight, yeah. No, no, wait. She was three. Yeah, he would have been like ten. Ten. He's ten. So he's in school. He has friends. She's carpooling. She's got multiple children with all their paraphernalia in her car. And so I can't remember what it was. I think I had Daniel then would have been a baby. So she's like doing me this. She, she took him to the downtown library. Now I'm, my memory's jogging. She takes... I remember She takes... Maybe I, even I had Addie. I can't remember. So at least she has two three-year-olds at the downtown public library. Like... Gold medal, gold medal, gold medal. And so my, she takes to the library. They're on their way home, and um, she's looking for something in her car. I don't, I don't remember what it was. And so my daughter Emily, this is like out of the mouth of babes. If your car wasn't such a mess, you would be able to find it. That's what she says to me. And I had already kind of given up on the I am perfect because I, by then I did have three and I had kind of gotten over the I can't, I, I give. You know, there, there's more of them than me. and, I, and you Yeah, so you're cl- you're, the cleanliness of your car does not define your spirituality, you know. If your car wasn't so messy, Mrs. Tamlin, you'd be able to find it. I'm like, great point, sweetie. Thank you so much for saying this to my best friend who has just taken you to the downtown public library. Anyway, so she, she comes to my house, she pulls up, and she's like, I thought you just want to know what Emily said. <laughs> anyway, but thankfully we can really laugh about it now, but I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, you know, she'd heard that from me. If your room wasn't so messy, you'd be able to find it. If your, you, the bathroom wasn't so messy, you'd be able to find it. If you put things in the same place, we'd never have to go looking for them again. You know, all these things. But, you know, the, the cleanliness was a huge thing to me, and then... Um, Anyway, so just that's it's it's a do-over moment. So yes. 
Okay, so Chris's question is, how do you avoid being stressed when you're trying to get them all out of the door um, into the car or at bedtime and things like that? And, and I'm sure everybody has something to add to this, but I would say the first thing is you need to have plenty of margin. You, if you are jam-packed busy, you're not going to have margin to start enough in advance to get yourself ready to figure out what needs to happen between point A and point B. And the other thing is warning. And I mean, I, we still do this at my house. It's like, okay, we're leaving in five, you know, we're really a start with my son takes longer. We're leaving in 15 minutes. We're leaving in 10 minutes. We're leaving in five minutes. We're leaving in three minutes. Come downstairs. We're going to be late. You know, I mean, yeah. Um, and and they, they get better. But I think you're in the training ground right now. You kind of set the tone for how you're going to leave the house, what's required of them, you know, having a routine, having a plan. But that's what I would say is give yourself margin, plan ahead, warnings. I would also add as much as possible, you know, you can have diaper bags packed, ahead of time. You can have, you know, I don't know if they're age to do the soccer, I mean, we have the soccer bag, the library bag, the video store bag, the diaper, you know, you can have some of that stuff well prepared in advance. Snacks already in there that, you know, are non-perishable, you know, stuff like that, so that then when walking out the door, you're not, oh my gosh, I've got to, you know, grab this or whatever. And then, like she said, the margin, I think, is really important. But um, probably, and I, and I, you know, I see this sometimes with young moms, and I'm sure that I did it a lot, but like get out of the pool now means get out of the pool now, not five four three two one or in ten, you know or the warnings are good because I remember a parent a big parenting thing when ours were little was as those stuff and one and some of it was really good and maybe some of it wasn't but one of the things they said was nobody wants to be completely interrupted with what they're doing not even a three year old so you know giving them that this is going to happen but then when it's time it's got to happen. And not the idle threats, because I, th- I mean, I saw I saw somebody do this recently, and I mean, literally like seven times. I'm thinking, she doesn't believe you, the one who's swimming in the pool, and I don't believe you either. And then you're going to get angry, and then we'll all know. Okay, now you mean it. And so just you know, uh, just you know, when you when it's time, when it, you're saying, do what you say, and really follow through. But being prepared and having margin, I think, are are really really important. Also, all right, I have, I have one other practical tip, and that is. Um, if you know this is kind of a routine thing that you're going to have happen, keep keep stuff in your car. Like my son takes medication in the morning, so I mean, to avoid having to go back home or yell at him because he left it on the counter or whatever, I keep some extra in my car. <laughs> so then if, if we get to school and he hadn't taken it, it's there. I have an extra $20 I have hidden in my car in case I forget to get money. My car is, we have every kind, like the little Neosporin, we have Band-Aids, we have dental floss, we have deodorant, we have a comb. I mean, all this stuff, and it's because, it's like, this is just, oh, you forgot your deodorant this morning? Here you go, sweetie. Or you need, y'all are laughing. You, you know, when they get older, deodorant is very important. Um, hairspray, I mean, anything like that. Yeah, just plan, plan, and that's part of planning ahead. So. And it is very neat in her car. Um, Let me also add, I think it's very important to adjust your expectations. I tend to live on a fantasy um, sense of time. My husband calls it Sue Bolin time, which generally means I am such an optimist that I get myself in trouble, you know, because I know that it takes 30 minutes to get in the shower, out of the shower, dry the hair, put the makeup on. I know it takes 30 minutes. But I bet I can do it in 20. And I can't. (laughs) It 
<laughs> because, so, particularly with kids, um, my stress level and my anger level came down when I was very intentional about adjusting my expectations to have realistic expectations. And so part of that was doubling the amount of time that I thought it was going to take to get everybody in the car. That, that really helped a bunch as well. And one thing that I'm still doing is I, if my kids say I need up at 6 o'clock, you know, wake me up at 6 for school, um, I set mine for 545 because I'm always a happier person when I've had that first cup of coffee. And it's just, you know, if I can get the shower before I have to run carpool, then, you know, my whole day is easier. And I know that's giving up a little bit of sleep, but it, you know, it kind of pays dividends for that peacefulness in the morning if if I'm not rushing to get myself ready and them. It'll get better. It'll get easier when you're not tying six shoes and buckling all those people in. Car seats, yeah. But but, uh, some of the tips I think will help you too. Okay, this is such a bad do-over moment. Um, When Carter was four, we moved into a house that we were going to put in. It was a big, big lot, and we were going to put in a circle drive of gravel. And so the gravel man came. Y'all may have heard me tell this story, but it's worthy of hearing again. The gravel man came, and he says, Carter says to me, do you think the gravel man knows Jesus? And I was like, I don't know. And and, And he's like, well, do you think we should tell him about it? And I'm like, he probably already knows him. <laughs> I mean that is you know, and that's just now and now we you know we go to a church where it's it's uh you know it's it's encouraged to share the gospel and it's normal to share the gospel but but where where I was back then it wasn't and I was just I was just like, Oh my goodness, this guy's gonna think we're a nut if we you know but I mean I look back and I'm like, he had it right and I had it wrong and that is a giant, giant regret that I have and just um worrying about what people thought. And so I would, you know, the, the three little lives or the five little lives or the one little life you have, they're going to be with you forever. And the gravel man's going to come and go. So those kids are going to, you know, that, that's where, you're, where you need to be invested and not be worried about what other people are thinking. So that was, I regret to tell you, that was a terrible, terrible do-over moment. Okay. Um, if I had to do it over again, I would put less emphasis on Santa Claus. Um, kind of grew up with, you know, Santa brought the gifts, and so that's kind of we just, I guess we didn't think about that down the road. And so, you know, Santa always gave the big gift, and Elizabeth goes, why do you give the credit to this fictitious character? And I'm like, that is so good. I wish I could do that over again and make just maybe one little gift from Santa if we wanted to do that or, you know, it's fun to make make believe or whatever. But our firstborn is very black and white. I mean, if he goes, what's for dinner? And you say elephant, he goes, oh, I love elephant. You know, he's very bright, but just very literal. He is bright. He is very literal, you know? And so he was in seventh grade, and he still believed in Santa Claus. And so it kind of came to this point where he was going to get beat up and make fun of. You know? I'm like, beat him up now. Yeah, well, no one beat him up now because he's sick and, you know, close to 300 pounds. But, um, but, you know, I was like, okay, that got way. I mean, I, my daughter, who knew that like when she was six, but he, for some reason, still believed it. And I was like, then I was like, I have to tell you. He's like, what about the Easter Bunny? I'm I mean, it just was bad. And I mean, I think broke his little spirit. And so I just, you know, if I had to do that over again, we would have not played that up so big and 
done the letters. He, and, and he was like, well, what about those letters he left? And I'm like, that was Daddy's girly handwriting, you know? And, you know, and like we were on the airplane one time flying home Christmas Eve, and the pilot goes, if you look out the left side of the plane, you'll see the red light, and that's Rudolph's nose. And he goes, well, what about Rudolph's nose? You know, and so, I mean, I just had, you know, oh. And so, had we not had to go there and just been honest and forthright and stuff. So, you know, before it, before they're in seventh grade, you might, <laughs> might have broken that earlier. That's really good. By the way, you may wonder what other alternatives do we have. And um, I am very grateful to the person that introduced us to the concept, which we did. We told our boys from the time they were itty-bitty, that Jesus got three gifts when he was born, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they would also be receiving three gifts from Mommy and Daddy. And um, we encouraged them to tell us what they would like. We were not confined <clears throat> to that list, nor were we... It was beholden on us to give them what they wanted, but we, they did tell us the things that they wanted. And so of, from that list, they usually had... you know. Those three things were on their list. But they got some stuff from Grandma and Grandpa and that kind of thing. But Christmas was never a big, big opening, present opening frenzy at our house. And it was a big shock for me. There were nine people in my family, and my parents way overbought. And so all the presents spilled halfway into the living room. And so I'm talking with my siblings. Christmas morning is this major letdown for all of us because there's just not enough presents. Except that. My kids never experienced that. What they did experience was a grateful heart, and each one of their gifts really meant a lot to them because that's all they got. And then we also told them, we don't do the Santa Claus game, and that's how we presented it. Other families, many other families do the Santa Claus game, and it's very important that you do not spill the beans. You have to keep the secret because you could ruin the game for other families. So they knew up front what the deal was. But I... I needed somebody to give me another way to do Christmas because we grew up with Santa. Yes, ma'am? No, they got three gifts from us. Well, yeah, Grandma and Grandpa would only give them one gift. You know, so there, there, was not, there, was, there were not a lot of gifts on Christmas morning, which is really cool because there was never a sense of entitlement, not for Christmas, not for their birthdays. It just it didn't become that culture. Yes? Well, all you can do, because you can't control other people, is tell them what you're concerned about. You know, I, I want them to, to treasure the giver more than the gift. I don't want them to be thinking that simply because I breathe that I have the right to expect tons of gifts coming my way. Because it's so important to hang on to that truth that we are not about dealing with just children. We are raising healthy adults. And we have to be thinking of the world that they're going to be living in as adults. And so all you can do is tell them, I would like to make a request. We can't make demands, but we can make requests. Um, again, a hard left turn from where I was, um, <laughs> which was riding on Gail's coattails. You're good. Setting me up. Yeah. So cool. Um, life-changing book in my family. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. In terms of understanding the differences between men and women, um, and along with that Wild at Heart by John Eldridge to understand the masculine heart, because I'm married to a man and I have two sons. I wish I had known stuff in um, Women Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus when my kids were little.
because I would, instead of dealing with them as generic children, I would have dealt with them as little men from Mars. And I would have honored their masculinity differently. And the, a big, big thing that I learned is that um, because of the way that the male brain is built, which is different than the female brain, that they can only focus on one thing at a time. You, you can find some multitasking males out there, but they're few and far between. I don't have any in my family. And they can only focus on one thing at a time, whereas I can multitask because I'm a woman. As a matter of fact, if women couldn't multitask, families wouldn't have made it beyond Adam and Eve. You know, we, we have to be able to do many things at the same time, right? Well, when I learned that it's like um, brain-wise, they could not imagine holding more than one or at the most two thoughts in their head at the same time, I thought, huh, and I'm constantly doing more than one thing at a time. It's just the way that I live, and I tried an experiment. And so when my kids would start a conversation with me, or if I was needing to have a conversation with them, I would intentionally put down whatever was in my hands. Um, if I was doing the dishes, I would pull out. If I was doing um, addressing envelopes, I'm a calligrapher, I would put the pen down and I would turn to them and I would present to them an open body position um, so that my entire body was saying to them, I am 100% focused on you right now. And um, before, when I was doing stuff with my hands that did not require brain thought, I was still giving them the same amount of attention, but they didn't know it. And there was a major shift at my house when I started doing that, when I stopped multitasking around them, when I was dealing with them, because their little male brains started feeling honored and understood and affirmed because they thought I was giving them all this much more attention than I had been. To this day, they don't know, and nor do I think would they believe that I didn't increase the amount of attention, but they sure felt it. And that was absolutely huge. Um, and was one of the, the best changes I ever made as a mother. For those of you that have a house full of boys, you'll never be able to get anything done again. <laughs> 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 I'm just laughing. Okay, um, this this is. Um, I don't, I don't have a specific moment for this one, but it is that every family looks different. And I think, especially when you're a young mom and you're still trying to figure things out, I think it's real easy to come to something like building blocks and be like, oh, we need to play the Santa game. Oh, we need to, you know, not spank or we need to spank or we need to have devotionals or we need to do whatever. And for those of you that heard Antoinette Davis, she told the story about how she heard someone speak that you that you should have 30 minutes of dedicated reading to your children every night. And she tried to do this, but that advice had come from someone who had full-time help that cooked every meal for her. And so this mom could sit on the sofa for 30 minutes and read to her child every night, but she couldn't do that. So I would just caution you, um, when you hear these, these, um, these words come out of our mouth, to take that in and to process it through your family and through... Um, your husband and think about it like Elizabeth who's been my dear friend for years and they have family breakfast every morning and Ronnie reads scripture to the children and I would just be like oh we should do that I'm like well I would have to get my children up at 515 you know because David goes to the hospital that is just not practical my family is different than hers and that's okay 
You know, you just, you've got to go with that. So I would just tell you, and I think, like I said, it's very easy when you're trying to figure it all out to look at someone else and think, I've got to do it just like them. No, you don't. You've got to do it what's best for your family. And not one book, not one speaker, not one person can tell you how it should look. So you just, you know, adapt from here, adapt from there. This will work for us. But, but I think, I mean, I was the victim of that going to, a, you know, mom, okay, we are going to instigate, you know, no sugar. We are going to, then the next figure would be on, you know, this. I mean, it's just like, you know, just take, take a few snippets and mold your family for who God wants them to be. And, but don't, no one is the authority but the scripture, God's word. And so everybody else is just an opinion. <laughs> Some good ones, but um, one thing that I um, that I wish I would have learned and done better was uh, just honoring my mother-in-law more, because my mom passed away like six months after we got married, and so my mother-in-law, I mean, just adored me, and I, but I was kind of like, you know what, you're not my mom. My mom is gone. I was so sad about it, and and I just never really embraced. Her. And I wish that I mean, she was a godly woman who loved her son, loved me, and she loved my children. And I, and I think, you know, you may have one that you think is controlling or domineering or drives you crazy or this or that, and I understand that. But they love your children. And nobody else loves your children like, like, the grand, like you, your husband, and their grandparents. I mean, you can have friends and aunts and uncles, and, you know, they love them, but the, they love your kids. And so you have that in common. So no matter how annoying or irritating you may think they are, they love your children and let them in your kids' lives and, and be a part of that. And um, I can remember my mother-in-law, I mean, now that I look back, I, it was very thoughtful, but at the time I was just, ah, she's been digging through my cabinet. She would come stay, and then, like, maybe for my next birthday, she would give me something that she noticed I didn't have, like a cheese grater or a colander or, you know, or something. I'd just be like, she's been digging through my cabinets and saw that I, you know, this, this or that. But really, she was trying to... She was trying to be helpful. She looked at it as being very helpful, thinking, I don't know how to shop for her. I don't know how to buy her jewelry or accessories or, you know, books or whatever. So I'm going to get her something that I really think she needs. So she was actually being very kind. But I, I was so, I guess almost rebellious. And I think it had to do with my mom, you know, having passed away so soon. But I just, that was so wrong. And, I mean, she raised, and I did do this one time, and I, I wrote her a note telling her, thank you for raising him because, I love him, and you did this. You know, you made, you helped mold him into the man of God that he is. So I would just encourage you to honor your in-laws and love them because they love your husband, they love your children, they love you, and you ha- you have that in common. So don't, you know, don't resist them. I know that they may come across as annoying, but uh, and they may be, but there are things <laughs> there are things that you can find in common um, to love them well. And I, I just want to put a plug in. Um, I think that would be the most amazing Mother's Day gift you could give your mother-in-law would be to write a letter telling her thank you for raising your husband. And um, I think I'm going to do that because that would be the best thing I could give for my mother-in-law. But I think about that now when your kids get older, you start thinking about the whole future in-law thing. And I think, oh my gosh, would that not be the most awesome gift to get from a future daughter-in-law? Thank you for raising you know, your son, my husband. So, anyway, little plug. And along those lines, my sister sends flowers to her mother-in-law on her husband's birthday. Aww. And says, you know, and, and however many years ago, you gave birth to David, the best thing that ever happened to me, and I want to honor you today. Yeah. yeah. Brownie Ooh. points, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think those kind of... Heart changes come from time with the Lord. Because I don't, you know, I mean, you can try to 
gear yourself up and you know pump yourself. But I, you know, I just think it's going to be praying, praying that the Lord would give you the grace and uh, mercy. No, 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 not to push your son. Do things the way that you are called by God to raise your family, but but just to grin and bear it. And and, and I think speaking the truth in love was is not is never wrong. Yeah, I think I, I would just say try and. T- <laughs> There's several moms that want the phone number. <laughs> Everybody wants that- your mother-in-law's phone number so they can send their kids over there. <laughs> I would say too. I've had a, a mother. I have a. I have a wonderful mother-in-law, but she can be very controlling. And there are times when I have to be reminded that when it says honor your mother and father, that means his parents as well. And so that's the bottom line: is you 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 are commanded to honor them. It and, doesn't mean obey them. She's, I'm, we're right. not telling you to go potty train your child because she no, said to. No, I'm just saying. But to be respectful and to know that her heart's in the right place. And then my other encouragement to you would is he will be potty trained. And Amen. then you'll move on, and it'll be something new. But it's but yeah. I would just try to speak that, and just you know, just pray for patience because I, I don't think you're going to change her. And um, but I'm, I'm not saying that you need to take her advice, but still respect and honor her. Can and, I yeah. offer you a um, a life tool that made all the difference in the world to me? I had a very very difficult mother-in-law um, who was hurtful on purpose because she was just a bitter angry, unhappy lady. And, um, and I realized that when she would say and do things, um, I, had, I had no ability to control her, but I had 100% ability to control how I handled what happened to me. And so I realized one day that what she was doing and saying was toxic. And it's kind of like the, the solid stuff that goes in the toilet. Okay? Um, <laughs> Now, there's two things you could do with the solid stuff in the toilet. You could flush it and send it away, or you could pull out a spoon, dig in, and eat it, which would be the same as internalizing it, right? And I remember thinking, you know, what she's doing is it's, it's crap, and I am not going to eat it. I am not going to take it personally. And so I've made a decision that when she would say and do things, I would just mentally reach over and go, flush and I would send it away. And so um, I could eat it or I could flush it, and I always decided to flush it. And so as, in a, as a way of honoring her, I would listen to what she would say, and I would say, um, well, thank you for sharing your thoughts with me. I will certainly think about that. She didn't know that my idea of thinking about it lasted a half of a nanosecond, and then it was flushed, you know. But, you see, it didn't. It didn't hurt my heart because I never took it personally. So all you have to do with somebody like that is listen to what they have to say. Thank you for your um, input. I will give it some thought. And then you go do exactly what you were going to do anyway. <laughs> but, but you don't have to take it personally. Right. I hear you. Hang on. There was somebody in the, in the back and then we'll come back, okay? I think it's harder when they're little to 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 have you know the not have the fairness thing, but I think it's okay to start instilling that idea that no, it's not it's not fair, and I and we'll still have ours now, especially with material things. You know, today this person shopped and got a whole bunch of stuff, and 
maybe you will in a few weeks or maybe you won't, but at the end of your life with us, it's all going to be about, it's going to all somewhat even out. But I think it's okay. I think it's okay for them to realize it's not fair. You are you're a different, you know. And I know they're little, but just a, you're a different child, and you you know your rewards and your punishment because and it will look differently. I know it's hard to have to just have to not have one steadfast rule for the family, but I I think sometimes it's it's necessary. What do y'all think? You have to explain that fair does not mean the same. Um, fair means right. And what's right is to treat different people, different children differently. We had this discussion when, in your face, I want to be king today, kid, would say, why do I get so many more spankings than Kevin? Well, because Kevin came out of the womb going, what are the rules and how can I keep them? How can I please you today? Um, And so he almost never got spanked. He, He just was so compliant and he delighted to obey. Really glad I did not have him first. <laughs> I would have been so shocked and appalled by the by if it were the other way around. So I had to explain. You know what? Um, we are we are asking God for help to be a, as wise parents to you as we know how to be, and it's going to look different than it's, it's going to be to your brother, and um, and it, you're not going to see it, and we get that. You're not going to understand until you get older, and I'm really sorry that you don't get to see that until you get older, but trust me, it'll be okay, and sometimes you're going to give them an answer that they're not going to like. You know, they're not going to, um, they're not going to get it till later. There was, this lady over here had a question. <laughs> I see a new topic for such a burden home all these talk. She keeps sticking her finger in your eye. Metaphorically. Well and and understand she meant she means for you to take it personally. She's being intentionally offensive. What do you do with someone who intentionally offends you? Well, you forgive them. You know, and you realize as the Lord Jesus said over and over again as they were crucifying him, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And she is spiritually blind. There's no way she can understand why you do the things that you do. And so understand that from where she's coming, it makes sense in her world. You know, and so when you, when you see it, she means to hurt me. Ouch, it hurts. Now I'm going to let it go. Because it's like um, when somebody tosses you a hot potato, a literal hot potato, if you keep clutching it to yourself, you're going to get burned. But you can let it go and say, you know what, I, I'm not, not going to hang on to this. You know, so are, are your, is your question more how do I respond or how, what do I say back to her? I think prayer, you really got to pray about it because we can only know, you know, five minutes of your story. And... But but I would say usually if there's somebody that's toxic and offensive in our life we don't seek the extra time with them out. But um, but I would say really you know just praying through what because I mean we could probably get half of us to say respond half of us say not to respond you know I don't I don't know that there's a steadfast this is the biblical answer other than to forgive and and love as best you can but I, I, it's probably going to be a process don't you think? 